Our sermon text this evening is the New Testament letter of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 28. That's page 946 in the Pew Bible. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and inspired word of the Lord. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit among us and illumine our hearts and minds, that we might read and hear this word proclaimed 
understand it, and apply it to our lives. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have ever had to put together a piece of Ikea furniture, or any kind of furniture that you had to put together and you bought it from a store and it had those manuals with pictures only, if you've ever had to do this kind of thing, then maybe you also know the embarrassment that comes when you reach that moment about midway through the process of this project, and you realize, I started off wrong. You know, you picked the wrong boards to put together first, and now everything is just, it's, it's not configured right, and, and all of the uh, holes where the screws are supposed to go in, they're not aligned anymore. You got off on the wrong foot, the whole project is just, it's, it has to be undone. And as you undo it, all the pieces break, and, and it breaks through the wood, and it's a, it's a mess. Um, it's a pain to get off on the wrong foot. Sometimes it's embarrassing to get off on the wrong foot. To have a false start is uh, something that none of us wants to have to deal with, all the consequences that come from it. In our passage tonight, we learn that Christ's ascension into the heavens saves us from the very worst kind of a false start. We all start. We start in a place of worldliness, and of death. And Christ's entrance into heaven cleanses us from these things and cleanses our works from these things. In other words, He cleanses who we are and He cleanses what we do as the people of God. The doctrine of the ascension of Christ gives us hope in these matters. To get off on the right start and now for things to proceed in a holy manner. Uh, We're going to look at this in in three steps tonight, three aspects of his ascension. And the first is that he ascended to free us from dead works. In verse 14 of our passage, we read that Christ has purified or cleansed our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see that contrast there between dead works and a living God. That interesting phrase there, dead works, refers to works that come, that proceed from spiritual deadness. If you begin in a state of deadness, then that's what also comes from you. Spiritual deadness, then dead works. It's the worst kind of getting off on the wrong foot. And uh, the Bible is very clear about this kind of thing. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 2. It gets at the same reality when it says first with this terrible news that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And then Christ raised us up with himself in order that we might do good works. That's the actual order of things. We must be raised from death to life in order for good works to actually proceed from us. Otherwise, they're just dead works. And in fact, even those who have been spiritually raised can proceed and do works in a manner that is not consistent with the faith. We can do works faithlessly and without calling upon the Spirit to help us and to empower us. And those are dead works too, in a manner. Now in this chapter, in Hebrews 9, dead works refer specifically to Works that are caught up in worldliness. In other words, it has to do with works that proceed from a heart that is clinging to the things of this world. 
the author of the book of Hebrews is speaking mainly to Jews who have become Christians. These are ethnic Jews who have now become Christians and who are now being tempted to go back to the ceremonies of the law. You can hear this in this chapter. It's why throughout the book of Hebrews, and especially here, the author is talking in pretty minute detail about all the trappings of that old way of doing religion. First half of chapter 9 that we didn't read, and then from verse verse 18 onward to verse 22, we can see these things. If you're just scanning those particular verses, you'll see the tabernacle, and the calves, and the goats, the blood... The washings, the vessels of worship, all the ceremonies of that old covenant way of life and way of worship. Now, they had been used by God for holy purposes. God himself instituted them for the worship of his holy name. But now Christ has come. The fulfillment of that old covenant and the fulfillment of. Of all those ceremonies. He is that true sacrifice. And so those old things have now passed away. The point is that since Jesus Christ has fulfilled the ceremonies of that law. Then all those things are now just things of the world. They were things of the world. And then God consecrated them. And gave them to his people for holy, consecrated worship of his name, but now Christ has fulfilled it. That's uh, maybe the main point of the book of Hebrews. In chapter 8, the author of Hebrews says that uh, those things are now fading away. They're obsolete, and that was built into it from the very beginning. The old covenant was not the kingdom of God arrived. They were shadows of something greater to come. And Christ has come now to fulfill all those ceremonies. And so all the things that are, that are uh, attached to that old covenant are now just the things of the world. The vessels, the, the tabernacle, later the temple, and all the things that were a part of it. They're the things of the world now. The problem was that those who had been a part of that way of life and that way of worship... We're now wanting to go back to them and to cling to them and wanting to go back and and do them all over again. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, they're the things of this world. They are dead works now to go back and do that and to be caught up in the things of this world is now just to do dead works. That's why in talking about all the details of the old covenant ceremonies, the author of Hebrews now chimes in and says, Christ has come to purify our conscience from dead works. Don't go back. For us in our own day, this happens in a couple of ways, at least a couple of ways. There is the ordinary way where we just love the world more than we love God. This is when your highest goals are more money, bigger house, more comfortable life. And those are the things that really rev your engine and get you up in the morning. And you love those things more than you love God. Our Lord told us, that where your heart is, there your treasure, there, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so he says to store up treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures here on earth unless you're planning to share with those who are in need. 
Store up treasures in heaven because that shows where your heart actually is. Do you love the one who has created and redeemed you? Or do you love the things of this world? That's one way that we mimic this temptation that we find in the book of Hebrews to go back to dead works. Doing things from a heart that is actually caught up in the things of this world. So there's an ordinary way of doing things. There's also a religious way of doing things. The Jews during this time, as I've already said, were tempted to go back to these distinctly Hebrew ceremonies because there was a kind of glory and awesomeness to them. That religion could be seen and touched and experienced. And we want the same kind of thing. We want something that's immediately glorious. And we want to be able to see it and feel it and experience it. That's the great idol of our age is to experience it and to feel it immediately. But to take our cues from the world with regard to worship is just worldliness. And so we must take our cues from the word instead of the world. This is that religious way of being stuck on the things of this world, of actually being worldly-minded even when we are doing externally religious things. Uh, It's just dead works. It's just, just dead works. Brothers and sisters, we learn here that Christ's ascension, his entrance into that holy place in heaven, has purified our consciences from these dead works. Meaning that what, it, what, what these things used to do was defile the, our conscience before God. That we might not actually draw near to him. Because we feel far from him and we feel guilty. But Christ has ascended in order to purify our consciences from these dead works. That we might put them away, put them to death, and now serve the living God. Well, what specifically has our Lord done in order to accomplish this? So secondly, tonight... He has ascended specifically as high priest. He is our high priest. As we've seen here in Hebrews 9, this chapter says a lot about all of the trappings of the Old Covenant and about the role of the high priest in the Old Covenant. That Old Covenant, uh, once again, we're we're not saying that it's the same thing as the Old Testament, which is Genesis up until you get to the New Testament. The Old Covenant, more precisely, is from the giving of the Ten Commandments about midway through Exodus, through the rest of the Old Covenant. Because that's when God made the covenant. That's the Old Covenant. That covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. And in this covenant, God met with his people for worship in the tabernacle. That is, in, in the tent of meeting, where God promised to dwell and make his, mani- his, his uh, uh, presence to be manifested for the people. And in order to do this, God commanded the people to construct the tent, this sacred tabernacle. And uh, the, the full tabernacle itself included three main areas. There was the outer court that was technically outside of the tent. And then there was, secondly, just inside the tent, called the holy place. But then thirdly, within that holy place, there was a veil that separated it uh, from the most holy place, or sometimes called the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sat. Now you'll see in our passage in verse 12, 
that it uses the plural there. It says the holy places. This is almost certainly talking about everything that's inside the tent. You have the holy place and the most holy place. And so together you have the, whole, the holy places. That's where the, the high priest would enter in. Now, the high priests of that covenant were mediators. They were mediators. They were the go-between between God and man. From the holy God to the sinful people. And they were to enter into the holy place of the tent and to bring with them the sacrificial blood that, that they had just slaughtered and then to go behind the veil into the most holy place and sprinkle with that blood the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement for the people. That was their role as mediators. And as mediators of this covenant, their worship that took place inside the court and in the holy place, in the most holy place, their service before God was on behalf of the people. It was as if the people went in there with them. We read in the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, that the people's names, the tribes of Israel, were, were put on the breastplate of the high priest and on his turban. So that symbolically, as the priest of God went in to make atonement, the people of God went in with him. That's what the high priests did in the Old Covenant. Now then, verse 11 of our passage says, Christ appeared as a high priest. This is why verse 15 says that he is the mediator of a new covenant. A covenant which chapter 8 calls better. It is more glorious. It is the fulfillment of all of God's gospel promises. And therefore it is not only new, but it is better than that old covenant. And what Christ does as our high priest, he does for us. What he performs, he performs on behalf of his people. The service which he renders is on our behalf and he does it perfectly, for he is without sin. He is without sin. And because being a true man, he truly represents us before God. He didn't just seem to take on human flesh, but he has taken on truly our humanity, that he might go into the presence of God as a perfect representative for us who share in his human nature. But being true God also... He is truly our represented, God's representative to us. This is why the apostles tell Jesus in, in the Gospels, show us the Father and that would be enough. And he says, have I been here with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is God to us and for us and with us. He is our high priest and our mediator and, and his atoning work has cleansed our consciences from dead works. He has freed us so that we may no longer be enslaved to the things of this world. But that we might serve God freely with all that we do, with our common vocations, and with our sacred worship as well. And Christ has done this by ascending to his Father. He has ascended. And he has done this to free us from dead works. He has also ascended as our high priest 
And lastly tonight, he has ascended into the heavenly tent. The heavenly tent. Now, I've mentioned the ascension several times, but now hopefully the clarity comes. Because you may be asking, what does the ascension have to do with any of this? To be high priest, Christ had to go into the tent for us. He had to do that on our behalf. And indeed, he has done that. But not into a tent made by human hands. He did not enter into the, into the tent that was constructed by the people. Or that is, just, is described in verse 11 as uh, not of this creation. He didn't go into the tent that was made of this creation. But verse 12 goes on to say he entered the holy places. The holy places. Where is that? Verse 23. Uh, verse 24 uh, says, not into the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself. We say, when did Christ as our high priest go into the tent? When he ascended into heaven. That is when our great and merciful and sympathetic high priest entered into the, the sacred tabernacle on behalf of his people. That's where the tent is. Let's look at verses 23 and 24 in their entirety again. It says, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. Meaning, there are heavenly realities and there are copies of those realities. What are the copies? That earthly tabernacle is the copy. The real thing is in heaven. And all of the vessels of, of that earthly tabernacle and the sacrifices and the altar and the, the covenant and the blood and all of it. They're just copies. They're just shadows. To show the people what it is truly like to dwell with God. There is a heavenly tabernacle, a heavenly temple, a heavenly altar where the presence of God dwells in its fullness. And verse 23 says that if the copies of those things had to be purified, and we continue on in verse 23, that the, the heavenly things themselves had to be purified with Better sacrifices than these. Verse 24. For Christ has entered. That's the ascension. He's entered. Not into holy places made with hands. Which are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself. Now to appear. In the presence of God. On our behalf. Dear brothers and sisters. Here is the wonder of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was lifted up into heaven, he did so as our high priest. It is true that he went up there and he sat down at the right hand of God. That's a kingly image. But the book of Hebrews opens saying that when he, was, when he ascended onto the, to the right hand of the majesty on high, he made purification for sins. It's not just our king who has gone into heaven, but our priest has gone into heaven. And he has entered into that heavenly tent, one that is made without hands, that pure heavenly sanctuary, and into the holy places, not made of this world. Not the earthly copies, but the true tabernacle of heaven. And... Uh, we recognize then that the sacrificial blood which the priests offered 
in that earthly tabernacle had to be superseded. Something better had to take place. Because the blood of bulls and goats in and of themselves are ineffective. They don't actually forgive sins. That's why they had to continue to offer them over and over again as a sign of what was to come one day. A once-for-all sacrifice. And that is why when Jesus ascended into the heavenly tabernacle, what he laid on that altar was not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own precious blood. Offered through the eternal spirit, as verse 14 says us, says to us, it says, uh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit be offered without blemish to God? He has made atonement in his death on the cross and shown us that he's conquered Satan in his resurrection. And he's taken all the perfection and all the merits of his work on our behalf up into heaven in his ascension and laid it down that it might be applied to each of us through his same eternal spirit. And the great effect and the real effect of this is that you are cleansed in your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. A life that is now consecrated to God that you might offer all of yourself to him in your ordinary callings and in your sacred worship. Well, now then, what does this ascension teach you? Three things as we close. The ascension teaches you that you are truly purified. This is not a contingent purification. There's not something else that has to happen. The blood of bulls and goats don't need to be repeated now. And it wasn't a sinful high priest who has to keep atoning for himself. Christ has laid down a perfect, satisfying atonement with his own precious blood. There is a distinction in this passage between the things of earth and the things of heaven. He has not offered a, an earthly, a worldly sacrifice, but a heavenly one. And by faith in him, you are truly pure. Secondly, the ascension teaches you to serve the living God in your ordinary living. In your ordinary living. Uh, you do this by putting away worldliness. Putting away worldliness. All the desires of our heart that, that, want to, that to lead us to want the stuff of this world more than God. Now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we may put those things away. The Spirit stirs up in our minds a remembrance of all of the comforts and the glories of the gospel. Until they eventually outshine the glories and comforts of this world which may be very good, but are passing away. So we set our hearts on our ascended high priest, and we look toward that new creation, where he is now, not this creation. Lastly, the ascension teaches you to serve the living God in your sacred worship. Just as the early Jewish Christians were tempted to go back to the, the more earthy worship practices, so we are often tempted to look to the world and to feel like we're not actually doing something of great importance unless we do something that looks big and grand and like an, an enormous concert, something that's really going to put us on the map, something uh, that makes us ecstatic. 
Brothers and sisters, God's word is enough. Is it, enough? it is enough to tell us what is pleasing in God's sight, not only for our ordinary callings, but also for our worship. He tells us what it looks like to put away dead works and to serve the living God in our worship. And so we look to him for what is pleasing and what cleanses us. Loved ones in Christ, remember the ascension of your Lord. He has raised you up and he has put you on the right footing now. You're no longer beginning each day with a false start. For he has ascended into that heavenly tent and so receive that purified conscience. Turn away from dead works and serve the living God. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would implant the seed of this word deep into the soil of our hearts. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, water it, that it might bear fruit in keeping with righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit belong all honor and glory, world without end. Amen.